are kicking off a brand new series this morning called The Quest. A brand new series called The Quest, and it's going to be Pursuit of His Glory. And glory and presence I'm going to use simultaneously back and forth, because when His presence shows up, His glory shows up, and vice versa. When His glory is there, His presence is obviously there. So we're going on a quest, the pursuit of His glory. And we've been building up to this all year long, and we started out in January with a series called Home, and then we went into a series called Abide, and, and, and God's done some amazing things as we've gone through these series, and we're going to touch base a little bit on that this morning to how he's got us here but this morning as we go on a quest stand with me as we read God's word in John chapter number 11 verse number 40 and this is a cool thing because I did not plan this this is this is a God thing Uh, the scripture I'm reading is John chapter 11 verse 40 and it's in the account where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead okay this Wednesday we're starting a series called Lazarus (laughs) and so our key verse of scripture throughout the series of the quest is going to be this verse out of John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. But our whole theme on Wednesday night is going to be Lazarus, about how they experience the glory and the power of God. So join us this Wednesday at 6.30 where everything's back to normal in our services. And the title of this morning's message is The Pursuit, The Quest, The Pursuit. And Jesus said this in John 11.40, Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, everybody say, I believe. I believe. Say, I believe. I believe. Say, I believe. He said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Amen. Father, we love you. God, we declare, we make a statement by faith right now that we believe. We believe in you. We believe that you are God the Father. You raised your son Jesus Christ from the dead, and you've given us your Holy Spirit to live and dwell within us for eternity. And so, Father, we believe in you and all that your scriptures say. And so, Father, we want to see your glory. And Jesus himself said, did I tell you that if you believe, you will see. So, God, we're banking on that promise that we will see your glory fall in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. If you believe it, give him a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. Some of y'all may ask this question. Joel, why do you tell us to give God a hand clap of praise so often? Because he's always worthy of praise. And I believe you get so beat up in the world that's around you and the things that go on in the world that you're in that there's enough sadness and darkness and and a lot of so many issues in your life of tragedies and things that take place. When you come to the house of God, I believe you ought to be lifted up, built up, encouraged, and experience what joy and celebration is. Amen? So when you come here, the reason I say celebrate, give them hand claps of praise is because I want you to know what heaven's going to be like. We're always going to be worshiping, praising, and celebrating our Father. And the glory of God always abides there. And so this morning, I want you to tap in to the glory of God like never before. And I love what Jesus said. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And throughout this series, we're going to walk through many of the experiences of Jesus, Moses, and some others in the Bible on a quest to experience the glory and the presence of God in a way that very few people have experienced it. And I want to phrase it like that, the way very few people have experienced it, because I believe this with all my heart. We are living in a day and an age where in the Old Testament, God would pour his spirit out and let it rest upon certain individuals. In the New Testament, he said he'd pour his spirit out upon all flesh, men and women. Give me an amen. He'd pour his spirit out upon all flesh, men and women. And so I believe that we live in a day that if we'll take God at his word, we'll experience the glory of God like few others have. But it's going to take a pursuit of his glory. God doesn't waste his glory. He doesn't just throw it out there to anyone or anything at any time. He wants us to passionately pursue the kingdom of God like we've been talking about. And in that pursuit of his kingdom, 
we're in pursuit of his glory. Now we started out this past year, and we started out with a series called, called Home. And when we've gone throughout this series called Home, it's all building up to where we're getting to today. And we know that home is where the presence of the Father is. And as home is where the presence of the Father is, we pray that as you come in this building, you find a place to call home. We don't want you to find a church. We want you to find a home. Because we want you to come here more often than you do other things. We want you to come here and be in the house of God, your home, just like you go to your home after you leave here. It's a common place for you. It's not a place that you show up once a month and feel awkward. It's a place that you show up as many times as possible because it's home and you love to be here. Amen. And so home is where the presence of the Father is. And as you walk into this place called home, we want you to know and understand this. You are not a project for us to fix. You're a person that we love. You're not a project that I'm trying to fix. You're a person that I get to love. I love the longer and the longer that I'm married to my wife. Um, I, 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 don't, I love her just exactly who she is. I don't want to change her. I get to love her for who she is and, and what she does and how she is. When she walks into the house after work, I don't try to change her. I love her for who she is. Do I pray the presence of God would be there on her life? Absolutely. But just like I don't pray for, 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 oh, God, fix this about her, oh, God, fix that about her. Because, you know, men, if we pray that about our spouses and wives, if we pray that about our husbands, if we're always just praying for God to fix them, we're missing it a lot of times. Why don't we pray for them to experience the love of God? Because when they experience the love of God, they naturally become fixed. When I experienced the love of Jesus, I went from broken to made whole. When I experienced the love of Jesus, I went from lost to being found. When I experienced the love of Jesus, I went from homeless to finding a home. And so why don't we pray that they would experience his love and transformation, not so much God fix them. Let's pray differently about those we love the most and watch what God does. And so it's my heart that as you walk into this place, you realize I love you, Joey and Stacy, the exact way you are. I'm not trying to fix a Joey and a Stacy. I'm not trying to fix a Cody and a Jana. I'm not trying to fix people. I'm trying to love them. And I want to love them with the love of the Father to the fullest extent. And so we know that home is where the presence of the Father is. And you're not a project to be fixed. You're a person to be loved. And as you experience the love of the Father, you go over to this chair, chair one. It's the chair of sonship. And if you missed the first series, please go back and get it. It's on our website and it's called Home. You experienced sonship. And that's where you went out of the two chairs that were over here. We had a third chair and it was lost and did not know God. We had a chair that was a second chair and it says knew God but were slaves. And then we had a chair over here that was called sonship. And when you move from those two chairs to a place of sonship, we realize this, as the Bible says in the Gospel of Luke, the father looked at them and said, son, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. God is not trying to hold his glory back. See, a lot of times when I say, all that I have is yours, God, some of y'all think, oh, God's going to give me a better house, a nicer car. No, no, no. God's not trying to hold his glory back. All the kingdom has is yours. And if we, if we as the body of Christ have missed it so much to just pray for nicer cars and nicer houses, we're squandering the glory of God. It's not that those things are bad, but there's so much more to the kingdom. You know, and so in this, as we press forward, he says, you're my son and my daughter and all that I have is yours. We also realized in that same series that as we move to a chair of sonship, there's a door that we cross. There's a threshold that we cross through, and we're seated on this side in heavenly places. But we know that as we're on this side in heavenly places, we are God's access. We are God's doorway back to this earth. 
So the reason why God wants you over here on his side is because he knows while you're on his side living in the the supernatural, seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places, you're physically here in the natural. And when the supernatural encounters the natural, God says, I don't need a lot. I just need an avenue to it. And you're God's avenue to get into this earth so his kingdom can come, his will can be done on this earth as it is in heaven. So in this process of the glory of God invading this earth, this space that we call the natural, it's going to take a lot of you for him to do it. And when I say a lot of you, I don't mean you got to get bigger. I mean it's going to take us seeking his presence. And what I mean by that is God doesn't need a lot in the natural. He just needs us to be open to him moving through us in the natural. And we are like that door. And many of you have signed that door. Stating this, I will be God's pathway to the natural because I'm seated with him in Christ Jesus in heavenly places, but I'm still physically here on this earth. So that means I am God's avenue physically because I'm spiritually seated here to come through me to touch somebody's life, to touch them immediately and change them eternally and they experience the kingdom of God. That's what the home series was all about. That's like 10 and a half weeks of messages in two minutes. Go get the rest of it. It's a lot better when you listen to the full, the full deal. Then we went into a, a series called Abide. And it's becoming well acquainted with the culture of heaven. Becoming well acquainted with the culture of heaven. And we know that the culture of heaven and the culture of earth are a lot different. And we use this verse in Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 10. And we use the verse and it said, Your kingdom or culture come, your will or your culture be done, in our culture on this earth as it is in your culture, heaven. And so that was the whole theme that we get well acquainted so much with the things of the kingdom of heaven that when we are God's access for his kingdom to come into this earth, we're not taking off guard by what God does in the earth because we're so well acquainted with the things of heaven. We kicked this series off on Easter weekend, and when we kicked it off, we used this analogy. When Jesus said this in the Lord's Prayer, he changed the Lord's Prayer from a teaching prayer to an apostolic mandate. And changing it from a teaching prayer to an apostolic mandate, what that meant was, is when the, the Romans used that term, they took it from the Greeks, and when the Greeks would go conquer a new land, they would send out a fleet of ships, but the very first ship was the apostolic ship. And when that ship would land on a new land, they were supposed to create so much the culture of Greece or Rome, whichever one they were from, so much the culture that if the emperor of Greece or Rome came to this new land, they would feel so much at home in the new land that it was just like the land that they came from, the original land. When God sent Jesus to this earth and he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven, what he was saying is, I want you to create an environment on this earth through my power and my Holy Spirit that is so much like heaven that when I come to invade your space, I feel just as much at home here in your space as I do in my place over here called heaven. Come on now. Some of us need to get this. God doesn't want to sit in heaven in the sweet by and by and you get there one day. He wants to invade earth now. He wants to come. We, our last message last week was called Heaven Now, and I'm ready for heaven now. We're going to do this. We've got to realize we've got to create this environment down here through the power of the Holy Spirit that God feels so comfortable that he doesn't just come for a moment. He comes and starts in a moment, but starts a movement that abides. I, I, we were 12 weeks in that series, and I'm a month behind on my scheduling of my series. Amen. <laughs> it's okay. We're going to go at God's pace. Amen. And so in this process, God wants to come and abide. And the last half of that series, we used a phrase, can we we trust him moving forward and what we'll only be able to see looking back? And what we'll only be able to see looking back, we realized that God did a lot more than just bring you to a place. He began to make something of your pieces. 
He began to make something of your life. And we use this Lego illustration that a lot of you look at your life as broken, but you're not broken. You just need some assembly required. You just need some assembly required. And so in this part of your life, we must begin to realize, can I trust him moving forward with all these pieces that I don't know what they go to, that he's putting something together that I'll only be able to see what he was trying to do when I'm looking back? Can we trust him moving forward? And we used that illustration for quite some time, but we didn't stop with just that illustration. We began to say this in the last two weeks. Can we trust him moving forward? Because a lot of us get so focused looking back. Can we trust him moving forward that he'll touch us in a moment that will change our tomorrow? Can he touch us right now in a moment that will transform our tomorrow and make us completely different than who we are today and right now? See, God wants to do more than just assemble your pieces to say, wow, look what God can do. After he assembles your pieces and gets you into where he's calling you to be, he wants you to continue to walk by faith, trusting him moving forward so he can touch you in a moment that will change your tomorrow and begin to change the future and change destinies. This is where the glory of God comes in. This is where we start this series called The Quest. We start this series called The Quest, and if we're going to start a series called The Quest, we're going to start it with a question, okay? As we start a series called The Quest, we're going to start it with a question. As we go in pursuit of his glory, we're going to watch God begin to do amazing things. And the question is this, is my passion for his presence or glory measurable outside of the expression of my church services? Okay? If we're going to go on a quest, we're going to begin it with a question. This is the quest question. Is in my life, personally, nobody else is answering this for you, is my passion for his presence or glory measurable outside of the expression of my worship services? What am I getting at? If the only time in your life His presence shows up is in the presence of a worship service. Something's wrong. Is my passion for his presence and glory measurable? Listen, if you can't measure things in your life, you're never going to know if you're getting anywhere. How many of y'all like to work out? How many of y'all like to run? Okay, how many of y'all like to make good food and bake something? (laughs) Thank you, that's better. I'll go with that one because a lot more of you illustrated you like that one better. When you're putting a recipe together, what do they say? You get measuring cups to measure what you're putting into the cup so the recipe turns out right. If you work out, I am going back to that one. You measure yourself. You write down what your personal best is so the next time you do it, you can see if you supersede your personal best. In your presence of worship, is your passion and your expression of your worship is, is in the presence of God, is it measurable? Can you see it increase in daily life of the presence of God manifesting so much so that it begins to touch you in a moment that changes your tomorrow? And if the only time you experience God's presence is in the midst of a worship service, something is wrong. Come on. I, I, got, I got to get you to, to, to understand this question. We, we, if we don't understand this question, we're going to miss the whole quest. The, the, the quest is about not you experiencing the glory of God in a worship service. 
I would love for his sick people to come in in a worship service, us lay our hands on him, watch him get well, immediately healed, made whole, hallelujah, celebrate, let's go. But I would rather hear about testimonies where you walked up to somebody at Walmart. Or you saw a kid get hurt on the playground at McDonald's. Or you saw some sick kids at school. See, I would rather you have a measurable expression of the glory and the presence of God in your life outside of a worship service. Because I know good things can, come, can happen when we come together. We're two or more touching anything God says. We're two or more come together in my name, God says. I'm going to show up and my presence is going to be there. So you can be a part of the presence of God and the glory of God, but have nothing to do with it. <laughs> you can be a part. Some, come on, guys. Get this with me. Some of y'all show up and just enjoy the show. I don't want you to show up and enjoy a show. I want you to be the reason the glory of God fell. Where two or more agree upon it, he says, I'm showing up. Where two or more gather in my name, he says, I won't be there. I want you to be one of the two. I mean, is it measurable? I can tell those of you who have been in your quiet time all week, because when you come to church, there is a measurable expression. And I can tell when some of us have missed some quiet times. And I can tell when some of us have never had a quiet time. Because y'all look at me funny why I'm so passionate. <laughs> so we've we got to answer this question. If we're going to get the quest right, we've got to answer this question. Is the expression of the presence of God, the manifestation of the presence of God or the glory of God, measurable in my life outside of a church service? And I can't answer that for you. When I wake up in the morning at 6 a.m. and I spend, I spend an hour of time reading and 30 minutes in worship after that, and, and I encounter the presence and the glory of God. And it becomes more and more measurable. It gets stronger. I mean, it gets thicker. I always, I always questioned my mom why she would get up at 5 in the morning to read the Bible. Now I don't question it. Now I'm thinking, maybe I need to start getting up a little bit earlier. <laughs> come on. Come on. She, she figured out something years ago when I was a kid that I just now am learning. And she told me about it all her life. But I didn't get it until I started going on a pursuit or a quest for his presence and glory. And then I started finding it. If we do not have a measurable expression of his presence outside of a worship service, it will be impossible to experience heaven now. Impossible to experience heaven now. There's a reason we put daily devotions in every church email. Get the email. Read it. Start pursuing it. I'm not saying you got to have an hour and a half. I'm saying give him five minutes at first. Give him three minutes at first. It takes an average of three minutes to read one chapter in the Bible, and that's if you're slow like me. Come on. Yes. So if you're slow like me. Listen, I, I, I'm going to tell you guys something about me. And I'm just going to let it loose this morning. I don't even care. How much time we got? Oh, Lord, I'm already late and I haven't even got the first point of my message. When I have long scripture readings, like I did in the last series, to, to open up series, I don't read it. I, I memorize it and I act like I'm reading it. Because I'm not a good reader at first. If I'm sight reading, I struggle. I mean, it's, when I say I read a book a month, that's great for me. Because, man, I struggle when I sight read. i got to read it two or three times to get something out of it. I mean, I'm not this great genius. I just work hard at it. 
And just because I work hard at it, I'm in pursuit of his glory. And so, so as we do this, the expression of, our, of, of the presence of God in our life must become measurable if we're going to experience heaven now in our life and we're going to see something change in the kingdom of God. So when we go on a quest, we've got to be in pursuit of his glory. But if we can't answer this question, and, and you need to answer it honestly, and the answer can be the expression or uh, the measurable expression of his presence in my life outside of a worship service is absolutely zero. If you're in that place, you need to jump up and down and shout hallelujah because it's not hard to see you get a result. <laughs> That, that's a great place to be. It's not hard to get a result if you're at zero. Because a good result is just one. It's kind of like when you first started running a mile. Okay, some of y'all can't relate. When you were in school as a kid, and you first ran a mile, and it took you 12 minutes to do it, it wasn't hard to get down to 10 minutes. But when you got down to 10 minutes, it was tougher to get to 8 minutes. When you got to 8 minutes, it's a lot tougher to get to 7 minutes. When you got to 7 minutes, to break that 6-minute mark, it was crazy. And now we got high school kids running in the 4 minutes, which is absolutely crazy out of my mind thinking how they do that. But, but it, it wasn't hard to start seeing big steps at first. So if your life is at zero right now, it's not going to be hard to start seeing the presence of God show up. Come on, that's exciting. Some of y'all ought to jump up and down because you're at zero. And if you're not... God's not going to hold back on you just because you're not at zero. Press in. Watch what he's got planned for your life. So you've got to answer that question and do it. Now, as we go on the quest, it is not a quest if there's not a purpose in the quest. If, it's, if it is not a purpose in the quest, it's not a quest. Okay, when a king would send people out on a quest, there was a reason they were going. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He didn't just say, ride all over the land and figure out what you find and come back and tell me nothing because I wouldn't send you to look for anything. Right? A lot of people think that's what Christianity is. Oh, let's pursue the presence of God and the glory of God. What does that look like? I don't know. Let's just go look for something until we find it and see if it happens. Right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what we've thought about church. And so God's wanting to flip the script, and he wants to show you his presence. He wants to show you his glory. And if there's not a purpose in the quest, it's not a quest. And listen, we cannot just say we want his glory just to say when his glory shows up, we experienced his glory. A lot of us want to see the glory of God fall in a church service, so we can walk out and say, whoa, we saw his glory. But what happened? I don't know, but we saw his glory. <laughs> really, that, that's, God doesn't work like that. He doesn't waste his glory. When you read about the glory of God showing up in people's lives, something always happened. There's a purpose for his glory. There's a purpose we're going on this quest. There's a purpose we are in pursuit of his glory. It's not just so we can say, look at TWBC. They're glowing out there in the middle of a pasture. His glory showed up. If that's the only thing we're going for, man, we can make sounds and lights and everything else, and we can make it great entertainment. I'm not about entertaining people. I don't want his glory for my entertainment. There's a purpose in his glory. And if we only want his glory for our entertainment, we've missed it altogether. And these are the people at the bottom of the mountain that said, I want his glory for entertainment, but Moses don't come near me. Because <laughs> you look a little too shiny right now and you're, the glory of God is on you. We'll get into that in a couple weeks in the series. So what is the purpose of this quest in the glory of God, we're going about, going about. I'm going to read three, three accounts in the scriptures. When God displays his glory, the purpose is always very similar in these accounts. And in almost every account. The first one is Exodus chapter number 3, verses 1 through 8. 
Say, I'm there. If you're not, look up on the big screen. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Everybody say, the mountain of God. There's a reason it's called the mountain of God, because his glory showed up there. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of the fire in the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Yes, this is the story of the burning bush. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when Moses saw that, the, that he turned aside, excuse me, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. The presence of God always shows up. The glory of God always shows up to do one thing. Set his people free. That is why the purpose and the glory of God always shows up. Because there is a group of people in this world that know God. They know Jesus as Savior and Lord. They've been born again. But for some reason, they're still caught in the traps and the snares of the enemy. And God's saying today, he is saying this, I believe with all my heart, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cries, and I know their sufferings, so I'm looking for a group of people that will embrace my glory, that will set my people free, so much to a point it will influence those who are lost to be found and find a place called... That is why God always manifests his glory. It's for his people. For them to be delivered, for them to be set free, for them to be changed, for them to be called out of darkness into the light. Let's read another account. This is many people's favorite account. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And everybody shouts and says, oh God, give us this. <laughs> right? We, we, we love it. We, we yearn for it. We say it. But I want to wait till we get to the end. And it says, Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two wings they covered their faces. Two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And everybody in the church erupts, and they love this scripture. And they love it. And I do too. And, and, and Isaiah cried out, woe to me. I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people with unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king. Woo. It didn't just say God, it said the king. Come on now. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Then one seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, I am here, send me. Here I am, send me. 
See, a lot of us want the glory of God to show up like that. His train to fill the temple for us to see the angels of God. But when he's asking who's going to go for us, all of us sit here like, not me. I just had the glory. I, I love your glory. but I... Right? See, we love Isaiah 6. We love Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. Until it says, who's going to go and set my people free now that you've seen my glory? I don't know. That's probably for somebody else. That's for Pastor Jeff and the Thailand team to get on the airplane. That sounds so good to say, by the way. I love it. That sounds so good to say. And we say we want the glory of God, but if you want it just to say you had an experience with it and you're not going to go set people free with it, he's not going to bring his glory. And I don't want a church that seeks his glory for selfish benefit to say, ooh, the glory of God's at TW. No, I want the glory of God to show up so the sick and the oppressed and the demonic and the broken and the hurt and the lost and the dying can have an encounter with the Father's love and they come to a place of sonship and on that avenue through his open door that his glory is going to show up. Here am I, send me. And I'll go alone if I got to, dadgummit. I'm going to get there. But I don't believe I'm going alone, amen? Shouldn't have wore a jacket this morning. This thing's killing me. Jesus said this. I always will use an account of Jesus, okay? Haven't read anything but the Gospels for the past three years. I, that, always going to read an account of Jesus. John 1.14. I got a preface that proved to you that Jesus is the glory of God first. John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John writes the best. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So I'm going to, show, I'm going to tell you, Jesus, God didn't just want to show up in Jesus. God was making his glory fully manifest in Jesus as he walked. And if we, if we really believe that who Christ was and is, we now become, as we learned in the last series, maybe two series ago, who Christ was and is, we now become. His glory doesn't just want to come rest in our church building. It wants to reside on the inside of us, full of grace and truth, so that when we walk around, people see his glory and manifest it, see it manifested like never before. Luke 4, 16 through 20. These are some of my favorite scriptures. Oh, my goodness. And he came to Nazareth. And he came to Sulphur Springs. <laughs> and they always said, what good can come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Many of you have called this place Suffering Springs all your life. You better change it. <laughs> you better change it. You're going to call it Glory Springs or something like that. I don't know what you're talking about because God's fixing to show up. There's not going to be much suffering here any longer. He's fixing to change something. And I, Okay, I'll get to that later in my message. I'm going to... Where he had been brought up, and it was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place that it was written, The Spirit, or the presence, or the glory of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Everybody say amen. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to those who proclaim, excuse me, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of the sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim that this year, this is the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to his attendant and went and sat down in his chair as son of God. I'm telling you, I read to you in John, the gospel of John, he is the glory of God that showed up. And he told you why he showed up. In all three of these accounts of why the glory of God showed up, 
It is to see what God wants to do to bring his people back to a place of being in him. To set those who are captive to set them free. What does that mean for this church? Why are we going on the quest? I said it last series. I'll say it again this series. There is a mandate from God. This is the reason we're in pursuit of his glory. It's Isaiah 61 verse 4b. And TWBC, they shall repair or redeem and make new the ruined cities. And we shall redeem and make new the devastation of generations. That is why we want the glory of God to show up. It's so our city can experience the glory of the Father. It says it right there. And they will make new, redeem the ruined cities. They will make new, redeem the devastation. And I love this. It doesn't say of the next generation. It says of generations. The ones preceding me, the ones I'm in, and the ones following me. Thank you, Jesus. I'm believing for five generations of restoration. Come on now. Five generations of restoration. To begin to take place. And listen, the glory of God is not far off. In fact, some of you who are brokenhearted right here this morning, God says, I'll show you my glory right now. And there are some people who came in here today because it's Father's Day and you're broken. Either you don't have your kids with you, you've made mistakes, they've passed away, or maybe it's your first year without your father, I don't know, but. But he says, I want to heal a brokenness today. He wants to heal a brokenness today. Right here, even right now. God, let your glory fall and heal broken hearts just to begin to show them what you want to do. Just begin to show them what you want to do. Today, I believe God hears it. He's seen the affliction of his people and their sufferings, and he's ready to do something about it. There's a warning that comes with this, though. All right, we're going to go with it. Y'all just be ready for an altar call here in a minute. There's a warning that I want to put out with this. This quest is not for the faint of heart. I mean, this quest isn't for the faint of heart. It's not for just somebody who says, oh, that'd be a neat little thing. I'll sit through this series. Maybe I'll show up and I'll see it. Mm -mm. This quest ain't for the faint of heart. I'm talking, I, I want you passionately pursuing I want you passionately pursuing him in every area of your life. And there's something that has halted many movements of God. And it's this thing. It's this word. It's called a cautiousness. A cautiousness has halted many movements from God. And it's a fear based that many religious over time have even given it this label called wisdom. Come on. I'm glad somebody knows it. Thank you, Jesus. See, when, 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 when kings send people out on a quest... He doesn't say, go out there and just, just be cautious. He says, go take the land. Go get it. But we in the church, we say, God, we want your glory. But as the God movement of God starts happening, we don't embrace it. We become, we become cautious about it because we don't know and we haven't understood. And we're being brought to a place that we, we haven't, haven't fully experienced yet. And so we halt the movement of God out of a word called cautiousness that is really fear. And we, and we, and we label it with something we want to call spiritual to justify our actions. And we say, oh, we're just going to be wise about how we go forward in this. Now let me tell you this, true wisdom is not based in fear. True wisdom is based in the Holy Spirit where he says, I will show you things to come, Joel, so that when this experience of the glory happens, you're prepared and ready for how to handle it. Not when it happens, you're scared of it and you halt it. I've been spending a lot of time with him on this issue. 
It's okay, I have. I'm not going to lie to you and say I've, I've been there and achieved it. And so we, we've halted movements of God because we've tried to be cautious and it's really just a fear that we want to label as religious wisdom when if we would step over here into the true presence of the Holy Spirit, he says, Joel, I understand wisdom. What that is is not wisdom. I'm going to give you knowledge of things to come so that you don't have to be cautious. You can go on a passionate pursuit for the glory of God. And when it manifests, you'll be able to see God do stuff. And you'll be able to watch the hand of God work. And my hand will control and take you to the place of the promise. We've got to begin to understand as we go on this pursuit, a quest for his glory. We've got to realize that God wants to bring us wisdom from the Holy Spirit because many times this cautiousness and this fear comes from what we've talked about last week. It's fear of what I do not know and knowledge that I do not have. And remember this, we want an encounter with God moving forward that will transform our future. And if we want an encounter with God moving forward that will transform our future, we've got to begin to understand he's going to do something that we've never seen done before as we prayed. And so if he's going to do something that we've never seen done, we none of us haven't experienced it. And so we've got to step over here in the Holy Spirit. So when it happens, we know how to handle the movement of God. And when I say handle it, it's not control it. It's openly handed, facilitate it. I mean, this, this pursuit that we go on, we're going to encounter things we've never seen before. When people would go conquer a new land, they would go and see things that they've never seen before and experience things they've never experienced before. And listen, in, in this cautiousness many times, it's not that the people who are being cautious aren't good people. Okay, I, I don't want you to think that, oh, they're evil and they're bad. It's not that they're not good people. The problem is, is when we've operated in this realm of cautiousness and fear-based wisdom, whatever we want to call it, when we've operated in this realm of that kind of cautiousness, we're relying more on the fullness of our knowledge than the fullness of Him. And this is where Joel struggled in the past. I would rely on my fullness of the knowledge of Him, not the fullness of Him. So basically I said, God, get in my little box in the fullness of my knowledge, and, and, and I believe God looks at that and says, Joel, I can't even begin to fit in your little pea brain head. I can't even begin to fit in there. And so if we're going to flip this script and see the glory of God come, I've got to realize I need to operate in the fullness of him, not in the fullness of my knowledge of him. Because if I limit him to my knowledge of him at this moment, I'm limiting almost 100% of God. Because the minute I think God has to operate within my finite wisdom, when he's an infinite God, I'm going to halt a movement of God. I mean, Isaiah, when he, Isaiah was starting out like any other regular old prophet book until the glory showed up in chapter 6. And when the glory showed up in chapter 6, he didn't say, God, contain yourself to what I can contain of you. He freaked out and said, oh, I'm undone. I'm ruined. <laughs> And he said, I'm unclean. All my people are unclean. God, I don't want to die. <laughs> That's what he was saying. I'll make, it, I'll make it real. And so God sent an angel with the actual sacrifice on the altar of heaven. <laughs> Took a coal and touched his lips. And he said, I've made you clean. I've enabled you to stand in my presence. 
See, some of y'all are wanting an angel to come touch a, your lips with a coal. When you got the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus that doesn't atone for sin, it completely demolishes the power of sin. But we're hoping for an Old Testament experience. When I, the question I have is, why do we hope for Old Testament experiences when we got a new and greater covenant and the, uh, and the things that happen in the Old Covenant and the Lesser Covenant can never supersede what God wants to do in the New Covenant? It, it can never supersede it. And if we're still hoping for Old Testament revelation, we're missing out on the power of the gospel and Jesus Christ and what he truly died for. And Because all of heaven is open to us now. And he said, son, all that I have is yours. Why you want an angel to touch you when I can touch you? Come on now. Why you want an angel to touch you when I can touch you? Why do you want an angel to show up when I can show up? And just a funny side note, since I'm already messed everything up. Why, when somebody asks you, if you could eat dinner with anybody in the world, why do Christians say Jesus? You should eat with him every day. Amen. If I could eat dinner with anybody in the world, oh, I'd love to go eat with Jesus. I eat with Jesus every day. Amen. I talk to him. There is an old hymn that I love, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Why you want to eat with Jesus when you got him? Yeah. And I don't, be, I don't understand some of these things when we live in a superior covenant if God is going to do a movement like never before, it's, taking, it's going to take us going where we've never have been. Where we and actually this history have never been. I want you to think of the weight of that for a minute. If God's going to do a movement like we've never seen before, it's going to take us to where we've never been. But it's also going to take us to where the history of where we're at right now in 2016, everything preceding it's never been. If that doesn't put some weight on this message, you've missed the message. Because even saying that God brings us to where history has never been before. That's heavy. Bring us to that place where history itself has never been to see a movement. It's easy to admire feats of faith over history and time. It's another thing to embrace the challenge regardless of the cost, to change culture and society. It's easy to look back at Isaiah's, King David's, Smith Wigglesworth, Spurgeon's, A.W. Tozer, these revolutionaries that throughout the history, I mean, Oswald Chambers, you name it. It's great to look back at their, their, their feats over time, their great feats of faith. It's great looking at them from this point, looking back. You can say, wow, they were so revolutionary. In the day they lived, they were ostracized. They were alone. Ain't nobody wanted to hang out with them. Every time they did, the presence of God would fall. See, it's easy to admire feats of faith from a distance over history and time and say, wow, if I could be like that. If, if I could be like Daniel, really? You don't like it when somebody asks you about Jesus in Walmart, much less being thrown in a lion's den. You're talking about Daniel? Oh, I would die for Jesus. You can't die for something you haven't lived for. It can't happen. It's impossible. I want to live for him. And if I die in the process, praise God, I become a martyr and there's something greater. But you can't die for something you haven't lived for. So great feats of faith are great over history and time when we can look back 100, 200, 1,000 years and say, wow, 
If I, if I could only see then, I, I, can, I can only trust in moving forward in what I see looking back. We're looking back on a lot of this. But what happens when we're in the moment? Are we willing to embrace the challenge regardless of the cost? Right here in Northeast Texas, religious stronghold of Texas, are we willing to embrace the cost of his glory to show up even if it makes us different? You've got to ask yourself that question because it will change your life.